This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello and welcome to the Backup Plan and or <laughs> <laughs> the Theology 101 series. Yay. Yay! Clap, 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 clap. Okay. With me today is Michael Jones. Hi. Hello. Hello. And we're going to talk about the Odyssey. Doesn't that sound uh, exciting? I'm excited. I'm, I like these things. Odyssey, <laughs> the Odyssey. This reminds me of the, the um, children's series, The Odyssey. <laughs> that was, I don't remember what it was about. I remember that it was very fun and that Mr. Whitaker was the old guy's name. And it was a <laughs> like a, it had to do with children's and Jesus. And that was the important part. <laughs> <laughs> it, right. it was along the same lines as McGee and me and VeggieTales, and that's all I remember. <laughs> what does this have to do with evil? I don't know, but that you, you said the Odyssey, and we're the, the, the okay. Odyssey, the Odyssey from the Greek oh. Theos, God, and DK Justice. So, okay, okay. So God. to explain for the audience, the Odyssey is the theologically technical term is basically the attempt to answer why a good god which is affirmed repeatedly throughout the bible permits the manifestation of evil in the world yes which is a either confusing or interesting topic depending on who you talk to Mm -hmm. so um really quick how are you spelling theodicy because this is that's where i'm getting what i was talking about from oh Theodicy is spelled T H E O D I C Y. Okay, D D. Okay, I thought it was, I thought you might have been saying T. I wasn't sure. Anyway. Yeah. Well, the term actually doesn't exist before uh, Gottfried Leibniz wrote the book Theodicy, which. Oh. Yeah. So he coins the term, and then that's the one he talks about. So. Have you read said book? No, I have not. Okay, well, I was going to say, please expose what it was that he was talking about. But the about. concept existed a long time before that. Yeah, because people have always... Yeah. We want to know why bad things happen to good people. That's kind of a life question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God hate amputees? That sort of thing. <laughs> Which he doesn't. You it so nonchalantly. <laughs> like it's fun sometime and rainbows. Well, I've heard this stuff all the time, and I'm like... I'd... Yeah, anyway... Of course, so. there's different ways to uh, talk about the Odyssey. Some this people say it's a attempt to answer the question of why God permits evil. Or mm-hmm. it's a theological construct that attempts to vindicate God in response to the problem of evil existing at all. Because according to traditional Christian theology, God has three main characteristics, which are omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience. And Which omnipotence is he is all powerful. Omnipresence is he is everywhere, and omniscience means he knows everything and yes. can see everything. Exactly. But what they would say is that omnipotence is a problem because if God is all powerful, why does he not remove evil from human existence? This is true. And if he's all good, then how can he let that happen? So there's kind of a big problem with that with Christianity and. That problem has existed for a long time, even though the term theodicy didn't exist until the 1700s. The concept has been something that Christians forever have been struggling with when somebody asks them something. 
<laughs> definitely, definitely. Most of the time, it's not really a thing you think about, but in the back of your mind, most people kind of have an answer to the question, and it may or may not be a good one. This so is true. That's why, which is why we're here to discuss it. Yeah, that's sort of yay. Okay, um, so I have a viewpoint and idea of the whole thing that's a little more out there. So if you wouldn't mind, would you uh, explain like a, a more traditional viewpoint huh. of why you why you why you feel or why you have heard that God allows evil in the world, essentially? Huh. Okay. So first of all, I just want to make this clear. Theodicy and apologetics are different. So okay. apologetics is kind of a defense of the faith. You know, yes. like people are using history or logic or whatever to prove God's existence or something or other related mm-hmm. to God. Theodicy is not a defense. It's an explanation. So uh, Apologetics would more be along the lines of trying to talk to from a believer to a non-believer, and theodicy yes. is more believer to believer. Yeah, actually, theodicy is more of a personal expression of why you think it is reasonable to believe that God exists and or is benevolent, even though evil exists in the world. I meant more for like the sake of why we're discussing it. Yeah, but like, for you the would, sake you would, of discussion, yeah. yeah. Yes. But a lot of theodicy just arose out of like, I'm Augustine the theologian, and I have a problem <laughs> with evil existence. So <laughs> what exactly is the problem, right? Yeah, true. Cool. So the problem is that God has always said that, like, he's the goodness, and then there's evil there, and then bad things happen. So a lot of people kind of start with, um, what do you call it? Augustine's first, that is the first person that we talk about usually when we talk about theodicy, because his approach is a little different, because he comes from a background where he was first a, I guess you could say pagan, but pagan would be a little bit of a misnomer. He was a different like, paganism than we know of. More of a just a cultural Roman citizen. Okay. So that's his first introduction. And then after that, he becomes a Manichae. And Manichaeism was a sect that was based off of Christianity, that there are two opposing forces of good and evil in the world, and they constantly battle over the souls of humankind in general. So, hmm. so it's kind of an offshoot of Christianity that was more a cult than it was religion. Indeed. So you had a sure. guy called Manichaeus, or... Is that his name? Yeah. I, if that's not his name, I'm not wrong. I don't care. <laughs> but, <laughs> Fair enough. But his viewpoint was that there are two oppositional forces since the beginning of time. So God is on the good side, and Satan's on the evil side, and they fight, and they fight, and they fight, and who knows who's going to win in the end. That sort of thing. So... Augustine eventually moves on from that and becomes a Christian. I don't need to relay the story of his conversion, but a lot of this stuff impacts him. Because in between Christianity and Manichaeism, he became somewhat of a Neoplatonist. Now, Neoplatonism is actually really close to Christianity, but not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Neoplatonism believes that there is a central being called the unmoved mover who sits in the central of the center of the universe and he is the source of all good and good radiates out from him so mm-hmm. it's kind of like in the universe is gradations of the good that comes from the central unmoved mover as they call it 
So the closer you are to the mover, the more good there is, quote-unquote? Yeah, so most of it is, like, Neoplatonism is mostly about getting higher realms of knowledge to get closer to the unmoved mover. Okay. So this plays into Augustine's theology of evil. So he doesn't believe that evil exists as a thing in itself. Okay. So evil does not have a real existence. In fact, it is a corruption of goodness or a privation of goodness. So 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 goodness is the natural state and evil is, is uh, a, a dis, dis whatever dysfunction. That. There you go. Dysfunction of goodness. Yeah. So like perfect love and then you have lust on the other side, right? Okay. So basically that God created the world perfectly with no evil or human suffering and evil enters into the world because of Adam and Eve's sin. And so evil the existence of evil is just punishment for this original sin mm-hmm. and so humans have an evil nature because it's deprived of the original goodness in the form and order that originally had before we sinned and so basically everybody after that kind of inherits it in a spiritual sense and i would guess augustine kind of links this up with you know, sins that go unto the fifth generation, that sort of thing. Yeah, the sins of the father and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, but everything basically is good naturally, but is corrupted. So that's the natural way that he sees it. So mm. God is blameless and good in this situation, and humans are bad. <clears throat> so this makes salvation theory make sense, obviously, in um, atonement theory, because then Jesus Christ goes to the cross, and then he makes us new again, and, you know, Jesus is the first fruits in the new creation, so he's basically made an incorruptible body and returned everything back to its natural state, and then everybody wins. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Already Augustine's then. theodicy. That's a pretty good example, and I'm not sure how Protestant that is, mm-hmm. but that definitely is one of the prevailing theories for at least eight, 1,600 years. Okay. Yeah. And it's one of the theories... I mean, when you look at most gospel presentations today, it has very much influenced the way we present the gospel in our modern culture. Yeah. Definitely. Can you provide an example of this that you're thinking of off the top of your head? <laughs> well, just, uh, you know, most times when we talk about gospel, we just mention, you know what? Humans made a bad choice, and our lives just aren't up on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we keep choosing this on the up and up. And so Jesus came and died to redeem what was corrupted and bring it back to himself. Interesting. Yeah, and I think a lot of Protestant thought falls along those lines. Okay. Yeah. The, the emphasis on relationship and personal knowledge of Jesus Christ and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it does fit into it, but I'm not exactly sure what the modern Protestant theodicy is, if I had okay. to list one off the top of my head. Uh, from what I can tell so far, uh, a common underlying thing is that the base level, the natural state, is goodness. So, yay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the base level is goodness, and I do agree with the corruption thing. There is a sense in modern um, Protestantism of this idea of corruption in human hearts. Mm-hmm. But I could not – you're right. I couldn't put a, a finger on a particular – theory of theodicy that is held as the main one. Fair enough. Yeah, I think it's more that it's a personal thing. 
Yeah, it can be a personal earlier. thing for sure. I think the personal yeah. element makes it a little different than like this is how atonement theory works. Yeah, it's it's right now it's more of a uh, discussion rather than uh, this is how we're laying out concepts. Yeah, you know? it's difficult to codify because there's just really not enough evidence to really give a, a full account mm-hmm. of what exactly is happening, other than that there is evil and that God is all good. Yes, which are paradoxical. And difficult to reconcile if you want to do it that way. <laughs> mm. So, um, unless unless Eric has uh, something he'd like to really give more of a Protestant specific perspective, um, I guess I'll just go into mine. Then go ahead. I'd like to okay. hear what you have to say. Okay, cool. Yeah, and then maybe yell loudly. <laughs> <laughs> Am I really quiet right now, or something? No, no I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, so. As far as why uh, why evil exists in the world, um, it all comes down. It basically it comes down to the fact that we have choice. Uh, when we have when uh, Adam and Eve chose when we were we were cre- okay. So this come, this is going to go into a little bit about why were we why we were created. Uh, God was God wanted relationship with someone he wanted relation he didn't just want to be worshipped he wanted someone who to actually love him like you and i want someone to love us so he created man but if he gave man no ability to choose to love him then there was it was we would just be automatons we would just be uh, creations created to worship him and that's not really what he was looking for at, at that time he has he could he could create those in a moment's instant and it wouldn't you know, so we were given the ability to choose, and in the, and he wanted us to experience good things, so he created us in a naturally good state, um, naturally pure. And then when we chose to disobey God by um, questioning his questioning um, whether he had said something or not, uh, the the devil tra- tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, saying, uh, "Has God said?" You know, he, he asked, did God say that you would surely die for, you know, anyway. Um, so that's, it comes down to the enemy makes, the enemy uh, is this, God is not the source of evil. Evil is um, what something looks like without God in it. So I guess it's, there can be, I'm getting a little bit off track here. Um when when we fell with first sin when we fell we sin got released or sin and death and alongside that disease got released into the world so alongside of that the reason why evil exists in the world is because sin was released in the first place um so yes god is good uh, the bible says that he is a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children um, and and where it talks about uh, when we talk about evil and, and disease and stuff like that, we have to you know talk about healing. Like what did, what Jesus did while he was alive, a lot of the time was miracles of healing. You know, so if we're called to look like Jesus, are we called to heal? Are we called? And and what I mean by that is not. I want to preface this in saying I don't mean that we actually heal. Like, I have no power to heal people. What I do is I release God into the situation through prayer and through um, 
declaring what his word says in order to see people healed. It's God that does the healing, not me. Um, because I've actually prayed for people and seen them healed of things before. So that's kind of where this whole thing comes from. So when when Jesus was on the earth, he did lots and lots and lots of miracles of healing. And that's really um, what we're called to do as Christians. You know, it's, it's, God's, it's God's will that we would be healed and made whole because uh, and the scripture reference that I'm using for this is uh, where it talks about the man who says, Lord, if it is your will, uh, I know I will be healed. And Jesus said, it is my will be healed. I feel that that's a, a constant uh, feeling from God, that that's a constant, uh, that it's, it's his will that everyone would be healed. However, there are things that get in the way of that healing. One of the things that gets in the way of that healing is the enemy. The enemy, um, he is a weakling. He does not have power. He is not powerful. What he does is he usurps power. The way he usurps power, uh, one of the main ways he usurps power is getting us to believe lies. Because we are Christ's delegated authority on the earth. You know, uh, the Bible says that, Christ was given all authority under heaven and earth, and he charged us with that authority. Um, so when we are given authority, if we don't know that we have authority, we don't know the things that we can access and the, the ways that we can use that authority. Because in, in the beginning we were created to steward the world. You know, uh, God created us in the garden and said, take care of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think he just meant the garden. I think he meant, the whole world, you know? So, um, this, this gets into the whole side of things where it's a little more, uh, into the supernatural realm, you know, you deal with like, uh, the word says that we, uh, wage war, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. What that means is like spiritual forces, like demons, um, and, and really just, uh, stuff that's not, visible to the naked eye. Um, and so with all that, the reason why healing, or I'm sorry, the reason why evil exists in the world is because the enemy usurps our authority to use it for his own means, um, to use it for death and to make our lives miserable because the word says that he comes to steal, kill and destroy, you know? And so, um, the way that he usurps our authority, the way that he takes it from us, is getting us to believe lies about ourselves. And actually, this is talked about a bit in uh, people who do 12 steps. They, they, I think it's step number six, is like really looking at um, memories and, and things that happened in your childhood and, and seeing how they have helped you develop as a person um, and seeing how they have hindered you in developing as a person, what they've helped, what they've uh, made you to believe. Like I know people who have done 12 steps and have actually gotten free from like anger or, or actually gotten healed from it. And, and like, anyway, um, what that comes from is getting the, the enemy, getting us to believe lies about ourselves and getting us to believe lies about who God is. Um, Jesus was tempted with if you are the son of god so his authority was was um questioned but jesus knew who he was so he didn't let the enemy uh convince him of a lie 
when the lies that the enemy tries to convince us of are you are not good you are a bad person you are weak you are you have no authority nobody likes you uh, God doesn't love you. God hates you. Those are some of the lies that he believe that he gets us to believe. And when we speak those into the world, that's us giving our authority away to him, essentially. So uh, the reason why evil is in the world is because the enemy usurps our authority. And our authority, when we come to understand our role as sons of God, as uh, as adopted as people grafted into the vine, grafted into God's kingdom, graft, uh, adopted by God, um, meaning that God chose us. When we come into that, we can actually affect a lot of the evil that's in the world, like on a real level. Like I've prayed for people before, um, after having come to this realization and being taught this thing that I do have authority, that I do have, um, that I am Christ's delegated authority on this earth. Um, I've prayed for people and I've seen them healed before. So there is, I feel there is a really good basis for this and why I feel that this is, um, why there is evil in the world. And it's, it's, uh, people talk about suffering being, you know, God is glorified in suffering and that sort of thing. Um, I don't think it's God's will that we would suffer. I think it, as one, as a parent looks at his child, um, I wouldn't want my child to suffer, you know, if I could avoid that them suffering, but they do have their own agency. And if my child chooses to do something that causes him to suffer, then there's not a whole lot I can do about that because he has his own agency. Other than try to help him to not make those decisions in the future. So there's a very long exposition. <laughs> Lots to think about. <laughs> yes, indeed. Although one thing, I believe the Bible is very pro-suffering, if that makes sense. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I've, and that's why that's why I am tentative in sharing this, uh, because a lot of the way that Scripture reads and a lot of the way that people have interpreted Scripture, um, yes, God does get glory in our suffering, but that's because we glorify God in our suffering, not that our suffering glorifies God, but that we choose to choose God even when everything else says we shouldn't. But sometimes it isn't a choice to suffer. It's just a natural No, no, no. I'm not saying that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we, I'm not saying that we choose to suffer. We the the sin and death got released in or evil and all of that got released in the world when we chose to sin. Uh, when it talks about suffering in the Bible is not that uh, suffering is good. Yes, we do learn things when we suffer sometimes. Sometimes there's a lesson that's learned in that. Um, but I don't feel, because the Bible says that God is a good father who knows how to give good gifts, I don't believe God has bad gifts to give. I don't feel like suffering is a good gift. So we may learn something in our suffering, but I don't feel that it's given from God. And I feel that um, while the Bible does say that God is glorified in suffering, I, I think that that's more out of our glorifying him in our suffering, uh, glorying in the suffering, um, rather than him receiving glory directly from us suffering. I don't feel that, like, I would feel really bad if I made my child suffer 
I don't I don't think I would feel good at all if I made my child suffer, even if it taught them something. Like parents hate disciplining their children. And I don't feel that suffering is a form of discipline either. So Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. So you're gonna have a big job editing all of this stuff. <laughs> I know. But uh yeah. okay, to play devil's advocate, since this is mostly what happens in the Odyssey anyway. Yes. <laughs> why doesn't God eliminates Satan instead of letting him exist. You're questioning like the entire Bible at this point. I'm just I'm throwing it out there. Okay, that's so the fun of this conversation is that I get to say fun things. <laughs> you do get to say fun things. Um, why? <laughs> fair, that's a pretty common question. It's a pretty it common is. question too, and most yeah. of the time, that question even outside of this conversation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, I guess I'll start on this. Um, I feel like why God doesn't eliminate Satan. Um, one is because he said he's not going to yet. Uh, two is because um, what is... It talks about... Uh, I think it talks about in like Isaiah or Daniel. Something about the enemy being stripped and he gets thrown into the middle of stuff. Basically, the enemy gets stripped of all his power. He gets thrown into the people he used to torment, and these people are no longer tormented by him. Uh, and we're going to say, is this the worm that tormented us for so long? Um, I feel like it's the ultimate humility, like humiliation. And I don't know if God humiliates people or whatever. I'm not going to talk about that. I feel like it's the ultimate humiliation to the enemy to um, not just die, not just not exist, but to get stripped of everything, get thrown into the middle of these people who we used to torment, and then have to uh, live with them after he tormented them for so long, and now they're powerful and he's not. So, as far as to why God doesn't just eliminate the enemy, uh, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, straight up, I can't really answer that. Yeah, because I, a lot of people just aren't going to accept that answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand. Right off the bat, because it's I, not a logical answer. I understand. And that's... It's partly that's what I was taught, and uh, that's a really big question. Why doesn't God limit the enemy? Well, his word says otherwise. I actually... I kind of have a different view on this. I, I I think God has a purpose to everything. And so, if you think about it, you know, Satan is a created being. You know, it's yeah. not. It's not that Satan has always always existed. God created. Yes. And so I think when you think of it in the context of God created man and woman and put them in a garden and put them in a situation of free will, mm -hmm. you know, where they had one rule to obey and they had the choice whether or not they were going to obey that. Mm -hmm. I think the only way that that really works that you're really giving them a freedom of choice is if there is an alternative choice. Yes. So I think. God created Satan with that specific purpose of of that being the other choice. You know, because if Satan didn't exist, if there was no evil being at all, then then what really ha what really is going to happen in the garden? I mean, it, would there really have been another choice other than, than obeying God? Well, uh, just to poke a little bit of a hole in that, um, the enemy himself had a choice. He had a choice to worship God too, and he didn't choose to worship God. In fact, it was his uh, idea to, I want to become like God. I want to become higher than God. So, I don't, the, God didn't create Satan, because God, Satan was one of God's angels. It talks about that in the Bible. 
Um, he was one of the head of God's armies. He was called uh, the Morning Star. Does it the- say that? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> well, it says it in uh, in kind of symbolically because it uses a, a phrase that we think is meaning the devil. Uh, with the I think it was the King of Tyre or the Prince of Tyre or something like that. And he says, you used to be one of the most glorious beings with all these different uh, gems around you and made that you were created from and then you chose to go this other way and to move away from god yeah it's in isaiah yeah it's interesting to me that people do think this way or that christian tradition has kind of rallied around this verse because as far as i know it doesn't say directly and you have to make a pretty far leap to say that Morning Star is Satan because it was originally translated Lucifer in the King James version, but in every other Bible it's translated Morning Star because well, Lucifer was the word that the King James people used, and then so on and so forth, and ended up in the Christian vernacular that way. I, I understand this is a theological thing, just just pointing it out. <laughs> well, for a little bit of uh, buffering on that theory, uh, I, I know it's a, it's not exactly the same thing, but the the Bible does say that Satan appears as an angel of light. Can you point us to a specific verse? Or <laughs> <sighs> I think it talks I about it in Revelations. It's probably in the King James version. It's in the it's in the New Testament. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen, possibly. Let's see. Let us see. Yeah, getting our Bibles out. <laughs> yeah, we're getting it out. We are getting it out. Yes, it does. Good. Yay. Good job, everyone. <laughs> Yay. Of course, it doesn't say he is an angel. It just says he disguises himself as an angel. It does say it in a newer translation, because in the ESV it says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Yeah. So he disguises himself as an angel of light. Doesn't mean he is an angel, but that's interesting nonetheless. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Zach. (laughs) I just like, I like messing with people. I'm sorry. You like poking holes in things. I like to poke holes in things, because I like to test everything. This is true. I mean, I don't really know that there is a satisfactory answer that's going to really please people, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a struggle. I mean, people people really hate to hear the whole, well, we're not God and we don't know everything. Like, they hate to hear that because they really, they just, they want Christians to have all the answers. But, I mean, there just really are things that we really don't know. Yeah, and we would like to have all the answers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I, I would like to know what, like, true submission and surrender looks like that would be cool what does it mean to really truly give everything up in your life not just and like i'm going to surrender my life to christ and serve him forever but like a i'm going to surrender the hard things in my life like my wants my dreams my love everything like that what does that look like i think jesus might be a good picture of that i mean he's a very good picture but i mean like a defined (laughs) a defined version of that you know There's certain things that we just have to kind of learn through our lives, and I feel that that's one of them, you know? Like, yes, absolutely, take a look at Jesus' life. However, what does that look like for me, you know? That's true. So, I, I, I guess for somebody who's fully man and not fully man and fully God. Mm-hmm. Being the whole fully God thing helps. Yes, it does. <laughs> yep. So, my thought of 
the Odyssey is it's more like a you use the phrase usurping for how you described it. Mm-hmm. I would use the phrase rebellion. Okay. Um, so God created all creatures, and the being we call Satan or Lucifer chose not to serve God in the way that God wanted him to serve him. And at some point, he gave the angels a choice. You can go with him, or you can stay with me. And they made their choice. Some of them um, did. Not all of them. Approximately a third of God's armies of angels did. Right, yep. And, and you know, But all of them had to choose which way they were going to go. This is true. Um, and I would agree with you in that Satan is a weakling, but I would also say that spiritual beings have certain powers that we humans do not have unless we uh, hold a relationship with Jesus or a relationship with a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ooh, that's a good distinction to make. Yes, yes, because and I, I think that's what magic is. It, it, it's an attempt at spiritual power without God. Mm-hmm. Um, um, to back that up a little bit, um, Jesus, or in the New Testament somewhere, it talks about People having a form of godliness without the power. That's the power of godliness without the form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was Paul who mentioned that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, so the enemy rebelled. And, you know, humans in the garden, Adam and Eve were just hanging out. They hadn't really thought of rebelling because, hey, you know, they had all this fresh fruit around and all these animals to hang out with, and they had no reason to rebel. The enemy's like, hmm, what if I put this idea in their heads? Mm-hmm. Um, and he just kind of said, what if I put this idea that, you know, give them this idea that they can be as knowledgeable as God if they just do their own thing? Um, and that's what he did. He said, well, if, you know, God's not upset about, for that reason, he's up, he doesn't want you to do it because then you'll have this knowledge or this ability you don't have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and place that option in front of them. And, and they made their choice together that they were going to, just test test the waters a little bit, um, and so then we were stuck with this hereditary and, or maybe hereditary isn't the right word, but just this. Somehow it started affecting us physically to where we are inclined toward wrong choices, um, and it did affect our hearts. And God's like, you know, what? I gotta clean this up, and we know at one point the inclinations of our hearts got so bad, God said, you know what, I'm just going to send a flood and and change the whole earth. I'm just so sick of this, I'm going to flood them out, keep a few that I can trust, and start over. And I I don't know for sure what kinds of natural disasters we had before the flood. You know, there's different theories about that. But I can see how a flood large enough to kill all the humans on the planet could have a good significant effect on the ecosystem that could start to bring in these other kinds of natural disasters. Indeed. Sort of like a chain of events, so to speak, in the right. ecosystem. Yep. I uh, like I like what Hunter 
Hunter makes the connection between humans and their authority that God gives them over nature. And right. I think yeah. I think that's what's important. I think that's yeah. kind of critical in understanding how not just humans, but everything sort of got drugged in. Um, know, by the way, they, uh, real quick, um, Michael. My name is Michael Jones. I'm actually listed okay. as Hunter on Skype, but yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mike. And my name's Rafflecopter Fifty One. That's my bad. But, it's okay. Uh, no worries. But I mean. Revelation makes it pretty clear that, I mean, not only is it humankind being redeemed in the end, but all creation is sort of being redeemed yeah. and, made, and made back into this perfect you know, thing that it was before. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think you can kind of directly link that back to the fact that Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth. And so, mm-hmm. when, so when they chose to rebel against God, they brought everything down with them. And I think you can even see this in the way that we kind of turn good things in nature into bad ones. Yeah, you know, like, it talks about it talks about um, Adam will have to work the earth and it's going to produce thorns and thistles for him. Even yeah. the earth was corrupted in the fall. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I even see this in things as simple as like narcotics. Like we take plants that, you know, you know, God had whatever purpose and plan he had for them and we turn them into things that destroy us and, and destroy people's lives and things like that. You know, and, and that's just a really simple example. I'm sure there's a million others of how we kind of twist nature into these, you know, caricatures of what it's supposed to be. But, yeah, that's a really good point. I like that point a lot, actually. Yes, and right to... now I'm I'm looking. I've got my Bible open to Romans, and I'm looking for where it talks about how all of creation is yearning for this. Um. Revive or yearning for things to be set right, and no one Romans it talks about it somewhere. Oh, here, here is the, okay. Romans eight twenty two. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the t- pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Oh my goodness, my mind is getting blown right now. <laughs> yeah. Boom. I love it. I love it when scripture does that. Yes. Um so God Paul is saying, hey, you know what? All of creation is just just in this pain and suffering because things aren't right. Yeah, That's and he really says good. in there, you know, the, the the solution is our adoption into sonship of God. It's it's us accepting our right relationship with God that will fix it. Um I've heard stories about places where people are so in tune with God and the Holy Spirit is at work in that group so much that they have like extra large fruit or vegetables being grown in those locations because the power of God is so at work and the the people there are so focused on their relationships with God and in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's really cool. I've never seen it, but I've heard stories of it. That's really cool. You know, um, I feel like I feel like this ties back into uh, the story of Jesus calling the storm, because Jesus knew who he was, because mm-hmm. he knew his authority. Um, there's a phrase that I like: "You have authority over any storm you can sleep in." Uh, Jesus was sleeping in the storm because he wasn't afraid, because he knew his authority, and yes. he had been trying to teach the disciples their authority. You know, he'd been empowering them and imparting to them and like teaching them all about it. Um, mm-hmm. And eventually they started casting out demons just like he did because they understood who they were. And even after that, they were scared about a storm. But that's because they didn't know – they still didn't really get it. 
still didn't really get it. So, yeah, I've seen um, I've seen people like. I've heard stories, let me rephrase that. I've heard stories of people, like, taming... Not, like, taming, taming, but, like, calming wild animals uh, by praying at them, you know? Like, because they were filled with God and they were they were fearful, but they prayed and, you know, the Lord actually saved their life, so... Yeah. So they didn't have the experience of the lion praying and saying, God, thank you for this food of which I'm about to partake. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, that's one of those terrible jokes from Grandma. Yeah, well, <laughs> terrible jokes from the pulpit. There you go. <laughs> Same thing, fair enough. That's a disturbing joke. I like that joke. <laughs> Actually, uh, Andrew, after this, I'd like to pick your brain about some things. Lions sure. are people, too. <laughs> so, um, I feel like the underlying thing in all of this is that... Um, with the exception of uh, Augustine or August Augustine or however you pronounce his name. Oh, there are other ones too. Well, why don't you give us some background, Mister Zachary, Mister Theologian Man? Well, you know there are some people that don't bother to deal with it, and you call those people people like me, <laughs> <laughs> who are okay with the paradoxical nature paradoxical nature of evil and good existing in the same universe. And I'm I'm okay with that. I think it's more of a my most of my theology seems to be based around the idea that I don't know everything. Imagine that. Yeah, which seems it's I know it's a very strange. (laughs) Well, because sometimes theology can get into well, we can explain everything if we think about hard enough. And I I have found that not to be true (laughs) in any way, shape, or form. So what I know is what I know and what I can know for sure. And so in terms of theological discussion, I tend to go with the things that are sure bets. And in theodicy, there's never a sure bet because there's always good and there's always evil. And I don't know how God wants it to work out. And I don't exactly, I know like the end, but I don't know why it's as it is. And I'm okay with that. You leave the knowing up to the knower. I leave it up to him because he's probably got it under control. And the problem of evil is not really my problem. I just have to live within it. Actually, that's not biblically correct. Because Christ said you will do even greater things than this. He told us to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out devils. Oh, no, I know. was a charge. I know those things are true. I'm just saying that in terms of evil being a thing that exists, it's just that it does exist. It you is don't a worry ba- about the reason. It is a bad thing, yes. I'm talking okay. about the theological structure of the universe. Okay, all right. Which less would so, be... Less so about what we're required to do about it, and more so that just that it exists. That's because God has commands, and those commands are pretty clear, and those are things I say, those are a sure bet. But in terms of knowing why evil exists, that's a thing I couldn't possibly know. And I'm not going to attempt to know. So I'm, I'm okay with the paradox in keeping those two things in tension with each other. You're okay with it? And would you say then that you just trust God enough to not worry about the reason? Yeah, pretty much. Fair enough. And that's not a good answer for a lot of people either. <laughs> but, no. but it is yeah. my answer. 
personally. That's what I was going to say. I, I know some people personally who that is just absolutely like their absolute biggest hurdle as far as, you know, believing that there's a, you know, that a God exists and everything. So, I mean, but everybody's different, you know, whereas, you know, I know just as many people who aren't even Christians who just don't have a problem with it. They just accept the fact. They're like you. They accept the fact that it exists and it doesn't trouble them. You know, but I mean, the opposite is also true. There are some people who just, that is absolutely just the biggest hurdle brick wall in the way of them accepting that any God exists, let alone, you know, our God. Yeah, it's a sticking point because I think a lot of people view Christianity as a set of beliefs, sort of like a philosophical school or something. And when it it's like, okay, I have to accept Jesus and then all of this baggage here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all this stuff yeah. people have been thinking for 2,000 years. I also have to think this. And is that true? I don't know. Parts of it, yeah. But some of the stuff, we just don't know. I feel like it comes out of people's sense of justice as well. Like, yeah, that too. Why Why do bad things happen to good people? You know, like I, like I said earlier in the podcast, like quote-unquote, because there's a website devoted to this, why doesn't God heal amputees, you know? Um, so, yeah, it it, appeal, it has to do with people's sense of justice. Like, if God is a just God who loves us and uh, who really cares about us, and like the Bible says, is a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children, why is evil in the world? So that's kind of why it bugs a lot of people. Yeah, and I think a lot of times it can seem like a... A pat answer to a problem of people who are actually are suffering from evil forces or living under dictatorships or whatever. And then, mm-hmm. like, the Christian says, well, here it is. Here's my list of reasons. And then they say, wow, you are a horrible person for trying to explain it in such a simple way. <laughs> yeah. I think that's happened a lot. Definitely. Yeah, because we don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. We can't see the spiritual world. We don't know what's happening on other planets. Um, other planets. <laughs> Actually, I know. Uh, that's just to say we don't we don't know everything that's going on. So if mm-hmm. there is something going on on other other planets, we don't know about it, whether there is or not. But um, I do know I do know people who have said that they can see some of the things in the in the spiritual realm. So yeah, I, I think sometimes God gives us little interesting viewpoints and pictures. Mm-hmm. Um. And it happens through his word. Sometimes it happens through a more miraculous situation. Um, well, the Bible itself is miraculous, but you, know, you, you guys know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, uh, I do. Yeah. I mean, the story of Balaam. Being able to see the angel of judgment that was standing there to kill him. Right. Yeah. And how his donkey saw it before he did, and his donkey was actually yeah. opened up to speak like a human. Like, what? <laughs> I guess my point was, we don't we can't see everything that's going on out there, and because of that, any answer we come up with is going to be an oversimplification. Yeah, and that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. <laughs> At yeah. least that I've found. Yeah, I, I, I second that. Definitely. Um, and even even when we do have answers that really seem to answer all the questions, people still they don't know if they want to accept that because what if that's not true you know that's that's kind of the whole rub with christianity as a whole like what if it's not true and that's why we really need to kind of experience god that's that's why the holy spirit needs to reveal it to us in order for us to really accept it because the bible says that 
we can only confess that Jesus is Lord by the Holy Spirit, you know? Um, so, yeah, it, that's, that's why so many people haven't... And we could get into a whole night of discussion about why not everybody accepts the message uh, because of that one verse, that one verse that says that ever, uh, people confess that Christ is Lord over the Spirit of God, um, which would be a, a very angry and mean discussion, I feel. <laughs> mean. I've, I've, I've had... People getting mean over theology? Wow. Uh, How does... It's not like wars have been fought over it or that, anything. That, ha- that happens? No, really? no, no, it never really? happened. <laughs> it never happened. I mean, I, I went to a Baptist college for five years, and we never had any arguments over college. No, <laughs> no, we all agree on everything. <laughs> well, I went Baptist. to a non-denominational school, and, you know, we just... We all got along fine. Nobody was ever upset with any of the professors, you know. <laughs> Actually, I did go to a, a college where nobody had any arguments about what people said. Really? I wow. know that's really strange. I know that's really strange. However, the point the point was less to spark you to think and more this is what we're teaching. So... Huh, wow, that sounds like really manipulative and brainwashing. <laughs> no, it wasn't brainwashing. Well, the, 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 like, it's a college. We're teaching you, you know? It's not like we're brainwashing you, but people, like, kind of accept it. And there was one guy, okay, I, I lied. There was one guy who did have some, there was one guy who was not uh, charismatic because it come from a charismatic background. Um, he was an evangelical, so like Baptist, and he did have some issues with some of the stuff we were talking about, which I get. Um, but for a lot of us in the charismatic scene, this is like things that we've learned and understood before. So, yeah, it was it was washing indoctrination, whatever word you want to use. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Yeah. Hush. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a charismatic take, brainwashing. I take okay. I'm taking a little bit of offense right now. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. So I but went. You know to, that's not what it is. Well, I went to a Catholic college, and then I went to a Methodist master's degree. So why would you hate yourself that much? What? <laughs> <laughs> so I know all the things, and I have a philosophy major. So I'm all over the place. And that's all of our qualifications. <laughs> we, did we? Did all of us really go to college for seminary type things here? Well, technically, I didn't go originally to college for seminary, but I ended up in theological studies, Mm. if that makes sense. Yes. So I didn't go to a seminary until I was doing master's degree stuff, and even then I didn't go for direct ministry purposes. Yeah, you meant for more of like a, I like to think about things purposes. Yeah, abstract thinking, that sort of thing. Yeah. Which is why it's really hard to follow the posts on TheologyGaming.com. Yeah, and Native American theology and all these other things... I learned about. But anyway, to wrap around back to our point here. (laughs) Is theodicy something you should share with non-Christians? I think that is the central question we have arrived at. I think if it's an issue with them, then, I mean, it's something you have to be able to talk about. Yeah, at least your personal answers about it and not it, saying I am speaking for the entire Christian church. No. And, and, you know, like I said, maybe not to be able to give a satisfactory answer because I don't think that's impossible, but to be able to intelligently discuss it, I think, 
Because, like I said, there are a lot of people who that's a major hurdle. Mm, yeah. I feel like it's um, it's one of those things that you should really like. Yeah, it needs to be had a discussion about, but I feel like it's better discussed about with even slightly mature believers than non-believers. And if non-believers bring it up in discussion, then you know, uh, I guess talk about it. I would have a hard time talking about it with non-believers because for me, for me personally, my viewpoint comes with a more like ethereal spiritualism aspect if you want to put it that way um so yeah you could but if i were to approach a non-believer with it they'd probably be like what are you talking about you are crazy i think i would try to be open to answering their questions yes and providing a safe place for them to ask those questions because i think that one of the things that some uh churches and organizations have done is they have not provided safe places for people to ask those questions. That is a um, really good point. Yeah, That's a that really is a good point. point. And so I think it's it's not about pushing the answer out or even declaring the answer out. It's about providing the safe place for them to, to find an answer. Yeah. And um, it is definitely a, more of a personal answer for everyone. That's for sure. I think it's like when somebody like goes, "Hey, the Holocaust." You're like, "Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> what exactly yeah. do I do right now?" Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important too for if you're talking to a non-believer. I I think it's just important to be honest and be like, you know, hey, look, whatever you know, whatever answer I'm going to give you, there's going to be some base assumptions in that answer that you may not agree with. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because any answer we give to that is going to have some base assumptions about God, you know, and man and everything that that they probably don't have. And so I, you know, I think in being, in being honest and being, giving them a safe environment to ask, I think we also owe it to them to be honest, to be like, you know, hey, you know, while this is my answer, you also need to understand that these are, you know, these are some of the basic substances that come along with that answer. Yeah. In other words, explain everything about Christianity before you explain this. <laughs> yeah, you should become a Christian first, and then I'll explain it to you. <laughs> Although, actually, that's a really good answer. Because <laughs> that would be the only way to make it work. That's that's where I was going with it. I was like, oh, you, you, they kind of need to be a Christian first before they're going to accept a lot of the stuff. Hey, you, know? you want to convert? <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Yeah, know what I mean? <laughs> well, it, yeah, the, the thing, one thing to maybe possibly say with them in that line is, you know what, the reason I don't worry about this as you is because I have a personal relationship with God and so I don't you know, I don't see it as he's up here way up there and I'm down here just and you know, I have this personal relationship. So I can actually talk with God himself about it. Whereas if if their view of God is that he's way up there or if that if he's not close and personal, then of course it's going to be more difficult for them to struggle with this issue. Uh, I don't, I don't disagree. I think that's a good point. However, you said talking with God himself about this, and I'm like, oh, that gets you in a lot of trouble a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. you're directly from God. Oh, you're <laughs> nuts. <laughs> hey guys, wait a second. I need to talk to God. Yep. I have all the answers now. Okay, cool. We're, we're okay, okay, cool. All done. Well, okay. yeah, I mean, not not saying, hey, I get all the answers, but I get yeah. to, 
communicate with them. No, I know. I, that, I was just, that's how it came off, is like, oh, I talked directly <laughs> to God. Well then, aren't you Mr. Smarty Pants? Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, right. So, any final thoughts regarding this subject? Very deep and very controversial subject. Yeah, and hard. Hard to talk oh, about. Oh, it's hard. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like... And I oh, feel like okay. we didn't actually do a very good job. No, we <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Theories. Yeah, we did, yeah. but I think it's more to give people an understanding of the topic, like as an overview, yeah. than it is it, about it, like a reaching a final answer. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we all have to remember that different people have had different struggles in their lives. And when it comes down to it, the the, the thing that has to be remembered is they have you know they've had personal experiences with either rejection or cancer or house fires or whatever it is they've had some sort of a personal experience with something that they suffered in mm-hmm. and it's more important to to try and be there to walk with them through that than to try to give them answers that we do not have I, that's definitely a really good point right you know Christ talks so much about relationship uh, not just with him but between believers like our relationship with him is supposed to be what our relationship with other people is supposed to look like and vice versa you know our relationship with people like talking to people hanging out with people that's what it's supposed to look like to hang out with jesus uh, okay it's not so, about winning the argument i guess is the best way to right. put it because Definitely, the argument yeah. is not the way you would talk with god nor would it be the way you would talk with a person who struggled with this definitely definitely so it's not a very logical or rational answer mm-hmm. Um, I feel like for anyone who did like what I had to say, um, that doesn't that doesn't mean that you're. I don't think that you're demon possessed. I don't think that you're. You have demons living inside of you. Um, I feel that there are things in this life that we do believe that are lies, and that's not uncommon. However, there's ways to get out of that. The whole point of whether there's not whether there is good or evil. Uh, for what I was saying was that there is a way to affect the life around you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. That was my final thought. Well, uh, it seems we lost Andrew. <laughs> Again. So we, we, this has been a fun call. So, Eric, do you have any final thoughts? I would say Timothy Keller has a really good book. That this the Odyssey is not the only thing that that book talks about, but. But yeah, if you look up Timothy Keller, he has some good works, and some of them will deal with this and related topics to it. Cool. All right. Well, we're not going to get Andrew's final thoughts, I don't think. <laughs> oh, well. Because he has disappeared into the ether of the internet. Yay. I'm going to recall him, and we'll see. But okay. Or no, he's not even online. Oh, okay. He probably crashed. Thank you for joining me, all three special guests, Michael and Eric and Andrew, who is not here alike. And thank you for listening to the Theology 101 podcast, which is Theology Gaming's off-kilter podcast. Yes, it is. Yeah, about <laughs> theology and not so much about the video games. This so if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our Theology Gaming University Facebook group and join us. We'd love to have you and talk with you about these varying topics. So, oh, my goodness. If you're interested, go there. If you want to see other articles, go to theologygaming.com, etc., etc., etc. Thanks for joining us, and see you guys again soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>